You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go. What's going on, everyone? This is the My Aggie Nation podcast. I'm Travis Brown with the Eagle. I'm over there with Robert Cessna this week here in the Eagle newsroom. Cease, how are you? You know, we're so busy, which is good because we're much like the team. This game plan this week is all off the charts, but come Saturday, we'll be ready. There you go. Well, A&M faces Florida this weekend at Kyle Field. Uh, It's an interesting matchup. It's two teams that are uh, struggling getting into this part of the season. Two teams that I think had a little bit higher upside, you would think, at the beginning of the season and probably haven't achieved the levels that um, they would have liked to achieve. What stands out to you about this matchup? Well, because the fact that both teams need a win. I mean, if, if Florida could get bowl eligible in Billy Napier first year, because he's done a good job in recruiting, and they looked hard to get someone who could recruit uh, when they decided to replace Mullen, because that was his number one downfall. And you look, he wasn't getting a lot of good recruits. A&M, we know they want to get bowl eligible with all these young players so one team is, is going to get a huge win Saturday towards being bowl eligible. The matchup that stands out to me, and I know we'll talk a little bit about this with uh, Matt Baker in the next segment, is, is the fact that A&M hasn't been successful in stopping mobile quarterbacks. And Anthony Richardson is very much that. Uh, just seems like stopping, not only stopping the run, which is something A&M also has been bad at, but stopping the quarterback running um, is, is going to be one of the big matchups in this game. Without a doubt, because I'll probably focus on that on my, my lead, because when you look at it, it's hard to get away from this AM run defense that is so bad. Then you throw in a mobile quarterback. I can remember in the last five, ten years, even when AM was having good defenses, mobile quarterbacks gave them problems. And Richardson is a fantastic, he's got all the tools. AM might be hoping for a little bit of a wet field. Who knows? Rain, 11 a.m. Or, or fog or smog or something. But AM hasn't done anything with mobile quarterbacks. When you look at the Alabama, what the Alabama quarterback did, uh, you, you, you look last week um, what Dart was able to do. Uh, they have had a lot of trouble. And in Jefferson at Arkansas, that's three. They played three mobile quarterbacks, and those guys all have hurt them. Florida comes in at 26th in the nation and 6th in the SEC in rushing offense. The split between the, the two running backs, uh, ETN one and, and Anthony Richardson. Uh, did you expect A&M's rushing defense to, to make some improvements uh, against Ole Miss last week? Because it, it certainly didn't look like there were very many, though it was a much, one of the best rushing offenses in the league. Yeah, you know, last week – you know, people are going to get tired of me saying this. I give them a little bit of a pass because the problem is without Johnson, without a without a healthy Edgar Cooper, that's two of their best tacklers. So you're playing a, a defense, an offense that's going to run the ball. They're missing two of their best tacklers, and that scheme. That let's be honest, the scheme Anum was out of position so many times. They ran, it looked like Ole Miss just run an old buck play or something or or whatever, and there wasn't anybody close. I mean, the guy was the guys were 10 yards. They had like 18 or 19 plays of at least 10 yards rushing. Connor Wigman makes a start, uh, first start last week, the, the, the true freshman. I'll own up to my own uh, shortcomings here, and I've said all season that there's 
there shouldn't be really any way that the true freshman starts because Jimbo's offense is too complex and you don't want to throw him out there. Just like Jimbo said when we asked him if hindsight was twenty twenty on bringing Wigman in earlier, it's easier to ruin a guy than it is to make him when he's that young. But he proved me and I think probably a lot of other people wrong that he went out there and, and had one of the best freshman performances of the season at quarterback. Uh, were you surprised at all by what he was able to do? What, what was your read on, on his, his night? Totally, totally uh, surprised. Why? Because I didn't think the offensive line would give him correct time. And, and then also, we can talk all we want to, but we're not setting those uh, you know, coaches' meetings. But I also wonder, did Jimbo actually just shorten the playbook and go with a few plays? We don't know. He's never going to say because he's still, he's still got to play teams. But it just looked to me like they kept things pretty simple, like go back, throw the ball quick, here you go. Make make a make a read before snap. Go with it. Whatever it was, it worked early in the game and late in the game. They got to clear up the middle of the game. And all of us writers probably think, or media people, maybe keep that tempo a little bit more up because Connor Wegman looked pretty comfortable that first series. They went the first two series. They went some with some tempo concepts, and then that second to last drive when they needed to get down and score, they went tempo, and it was the best that they moved. Uh, there's probably something to be said about maybe the first two drives being scripted, them having been able to go through them and, and know what was coming next. Uh, but yeah, I think tempo is is going to be uh, a, a big key moving forward. So uh, it's kind of going to be that thing that we, at least as long as A&M keeps winning, that we'll analyze for the next four weeks, and that is A&M needs three wins out of four games uh, to be, be bowl eligible. Do you do you at this point in the season right now? Do you see three wins? Well, yes, yes. They need three out of five. They got five games left. Oh, it's yeah. a given they're going to beat UMass. So they're really at four and five. They need two wins out of three SEC games. That's what's going to boil down to. So now it gets real dicey because in paper I had you know they need to beat Auburn and they need to beat Florida. And both of those, I feel, got easier this week with Auburn firing their complete coaching staff, with Florida going ahead and not having their leading tackler, getting rid of Cox. So the chances of them winning two out of three league games is much better. Because if they go into that last game needing to beat LSU, if they go into that game five and six they don't want to do that they want to get those wins before the LSU and so what does that mean a three-game winning streak now that's hard to say for a team that's three and five but one of them's a given you're playing at home they need a win I mean they've lost four in a row three four three in a row four in a row whatever yeah they've lost four in a row they need a win in the worst possible way because if you lose to Florida what chances are they going to have to beat LSU here, here the last game? Because that means still going to Auburn and win as well. Yeah, it, it is. So it is you need to win three of the last four uh, because it's Florida, Auburn, UMass, LSU left. Uh, yeah, Florida, is. this is a must win for them to get bowl eligible because I just don't see them yeah, beating LSU. I said five. Yeah. I, I confused you because I did that so well, and I'm thinking <laughs> my mind, okay, yeah. Well, if, of how we are with sports writers, I thought back to my story after the game last week and went, did I get that wrong? Because I put – Three out of four in my story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yes, we were right for uh, three out of four uh, to, to, to close that out. Um, so <laughs> what does A&M need to do this week weekend to win this game? They're going to play a little better defense, which, you know, and I guess when, I, when you hit me on that one, they need to play complementary football. 
you know, when they were losing those first few games, the, the offense wasn't there. So last week the offense was there, and they made a couple glaring errors in special teams. They need to play complementary football. They need to get a turnover, and then Connor Wegman throws a touchdown pass. Can you imagine the defense coming off feeling great? They just don't play complementary football. In the game before that, they give up a 100-yard uh, t- touchdown return to lead the, start the game off with. They need to play complementary football, which they really haven't done since when's the last time they played complementary football. You know, it's, it's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> you know, they beat Florida a couple years ago by playing great complementary, get the turnover when they need it, do the things they needed. A&M just needs a win because we're tired of pointing out all their warts. Jimbo's tired of talking about their warts. The fans are upset because they're tired of saying they're young all the time, everywhere, but but they are. It's amazing when you lose, everybody's whining and everybody doesn't feel good. When you win, everybody – Aggie Park will look a lot better when they win. Speaking of guys that like to make their voice heard, we'll we'll close out with this because I think it's something that a lot of people were interested in after the game last week in Ole Miss, and that is – Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin. Uh, there was a little bit of a, a a back and forth between them in the offseason. There was video of Kiffin out on the field chirping at A&M players. There was uh, comments after the game. There's debate on maybe how injured some of A&M's players were. I know you talked to Kiffin today on the SEC teleconference. What, what do you make of the kind of coach and the kind of personality Lane Kiffin is um, not only for this league, but to go against and, and how that kind of manifested itself in the game last week. Bottom line is Kiffin's 8-1. You know, he's beat a the last two years. Uh, and the scoreboard s- t- tells everything. Kiffin's that kind of guy. He's going to have a chip on his shoulder. He's, he's going to talk smack. Uh, he's going to talk smack about himself. If you don't like what he does, beat him. That's all you got to do. And, and A&M hasn't done that the last two years. So, and, and then there was a lot of talk. That's what trouble is when you, have, when you run your miles before the season, whether you're Saban, whether you're Fisher, whether you're Kiffin. doesn't matter what you say. What do you do when it comes game time? And what did Saban do? He took care of business. A&M almost beat him for the second straight year. Kiffin, you, you know A&M wanted to win that game so bad. So did Kiffin. And uh, the luxury tax, you knew Kiffin was going to hmm. make comments like that. In today's kids, what kids today don't go around with a chip on their shoulder with NIL, whatever, Kiffin's almost – that next generation coach. There's a lot of things you don't like about him, but a lot of people do like him. Don't need a score prediction. Score predictions are stupid, in my opinion. But does A&M win this game this weekend? You know, I, I think they're due. You know, I picked them to lose last week. And to be quite honest, I picked them to lose by like eight. I thought they would lose even worse than what they did. I knew they could win. And if you told me Connor Wegman was going to throw – for four touchdowns last week, I'd be homeless right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I again, I don't like this matchup because they can run the ball, yeah. and and yeah. anytime a team can run the ball well, it, it's going to be the weirdest of shootouts with A and M throwing the ball down the field and Florida running the ball down the field like it was against uh, Ole Miss. I, I I think I said I give I I give A and M the 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 field goal because of being a home team. I think it's a toss up, but I'll, I'll give A and M. Uh, a field goal credit, which which puts them on the right road to, to bowl eligibility. Cease, thanks so much for a few minutes of your busy day. 
Oh man, you're, we're both busy, and you know, and you got we got we got a lot to do until the Birmingham Bowl rolls around, <laughs> or or the Las Vegas Bowl. I'm still keeping my fingers <laughs> crossed. Las Vegas Bowl. Uh, for everyone listening to the My Aggie Nation podcast, coming up next, we'll have Matt Baker from the Tampa Bay <laughs> Times to break down the Florida angle of this matchup this weekend. Stick around for that. What's going on, everyone? I'm Travis Brown with the Eagle alongside Rob Cessna. But most importantly, we have Matt Baker from the Tampa Bay Times here. Matt, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Awesome, awesome. Uh, well, A&M faces Florida this weekend, the, the, the beat that you cover, one of the beats that you cover. Uh, let's just get into the, the nitty-gritty of what are the biggest storylines and notes heading into this matchup between the Aggies and the Gators? Yeah, I'm just kind of curious to see how the Gators respond from the Georgia loss. Uh, it, you know, they, they've been in a couple competitive games with good teams this year. Obviously, Tennessee, they, they, it was a 17-point game with seven minutes left or so when Florida went down and had a chance for a Hail Mary to, to win it at the very end. Um, we're, we're down really big early against Georgia on Saturday, came back, and suddenly in the third quarter with three and a half minutes left, it's a one-score game. So I want to see if Florida can kind of build on that and, and, and in a positive way and, and go from kind of close calls against some of these teams to actually having a chance to win it. And they just kind of big picture with the Gators. I want to see what kind of incremental progress they make. This, this season has not gone the way that diehard fans hope, but truthfully, it's gone about the way I expected, where they're good enough to hang with just about anybody, but good enough to or bad enough to lose just about anybody. So I want to see what kind of little incremental progress the Gators can make to give fans either optimism or concern heading into 23, because that's really what most Florida fans are thinking about right now. It's interesting you should say that, Matt, because I obviously by covering AM, you don't get to see a lot of Florida, but I did see most of the Utah game. Uh, you know, I'm a voter. I checked the, the, these games against, you know, Kentucky, you're right, LSU even. They play all these competitive games, and I think for a first year coach, you know, that's good, but fans do want the wins. And then I'm on the outside looking in, and they, you know, lose one of their top linebackers, Cox. So I wonder. What's what's the pulse this week when you lose such a good player? Yeah, that's a really good question in terms of what happened with Britton Cox, uh, who was dismissed from the team uh, the other day. I, and I'm not entirely sure what to make of it. I think in some ways this is probably Billy Napier sending a little bit of a message in terms of what's accepted and, and what is not accepted. Billy didn't phrase it like that uh, when we asked him about it on Monday, but I still think there probably is some of that as well, especially when one of the big things with him He's of the Nick, you know, he, he worked under Nick Saban at Alabama. So he's kind of on that mindset that more games are lost than they are won, if that makes sense. And he more than probably just about any coach I've covered is really big on eliminating the dumb mistakes, be that turnovers. I know every coach does that, but Billy is more on that and bad penalties and stuff like that. Just the self-inflicted things that can ruin a game for a team. And I think discipline is part of that. And it's definitely an area where, now, Florida people will tell you that was a lacking thing under the last regime and Dan Mullen. And so far, Billy's trying to change that. And I think it's hard to view Cox's dismissal the other day, not through that lens. Now, what about, uh, it seemed like a few years when A&M would play Auburn. It'd be, is it going to be good bow or bad bow? bow? Now, they don't get to play Florida all the time, but we know that kind of like Anthony Richardson, it would seem like if he has a good game, Florida's chances. What about up and down? Or what have you seen from him? Yeah, so he is tremendously talented. I mean, there's no question in my mind or that he is one of the most talented quarterbacks in the country, period. 
He's big. He's strong. He's fast. He's got a cannon. He, he has all of the tools, but he has not been able to put it together. Going back to, to last year under, under Dan Mullen, he would make these spectacular plays when he'd see a little bit of action against FAU or USF or some of those guys, but wasn't playing consistently and kind of had to read between the lines, but he wasn't making the unspectacular plays is what Dan Mullen liked to say, where sometimes the best thing you can do is check it down for a three yard game to the running back. He didn't do that enough. And this year he is still making some of those great plays. He had some sensational ones against Utah ripped off an 80 yard uh, play uh, with his legs um, against LSU the other day, big, uh, big passing touchdown against Georgia by, to Xavier Henderson. But I guess where I'm seeing progress is eliminating some of the really bad things, raising the floor a little bit where, you know, two consecutive games without an interception, he's not making some of those just disastrous plays that he made his first year and a half or so of, of playing time. He's leveling out a little bit that, um, you know, is that good enough for the Gators? No, not if they're going to be the team they want to be. But if, as we look at this team that, you know, a bowl game is a realistic possibility and a realistic goal, if they're going to get there, being just okay is good enough for for him at this point. A&M has struggled this year against mobile quarterbacks, and I know that is a little bit of a skill set of his. Uh, How much have they used his legs this season? Uh, How much do you think that'll be a factor in a matchup against an A&M team that has not only struggled against mobile quarterbacks, but struggled against run defense in general? Yeah, that's one of the most interesting questions to me, is, and it has been throughout the season, is how did they use his legs? Because he is a dynamic runner, absolutely dynamic. I mean, the guys that I've seen that I compare him to, Lamar Jackson, that's probably the list, maybe Deshaun Watson, maybe Marcus Mariota, but when he is on with his legs, he is just dynamic. And very few guys in the last few, you know, since I've been doing this, are in that sentence. But Florida's tried to be very specific and calculated in how they use him some of that is the lack of depth behind him jack miller is the backup quarterback uh, transferred from ohio state doesn't really have any significant playing time uh miller was out for a while in which case jalen kitno was the backup quarterback who had no significant playing time so florida's tried to be very cautious because they could not risk an injury to him that said they've opened it up a little bit more the last couple weeks so uh, it's it's just been kind of a a balancing act that Florida has tried to do between using his strength, which is his legs that separates him from almost anybody that I've seen with my own eyes, while also trying to be careful to let him uh, avoid injury, first of all, and then second of all, let him develop as a passer. Because that's something he's really, really focused on. His quarterback's job is to throw it, so he wants to throw it. You know, I was interested to study looking at this week. week, Florida has some good stats both on defense and offense. I mean, this is, a, a, as you say, a, a very competitive team coming in here that has eyes on a bowl. I remember Montreal John, uh, Johnson. I saw some of his games last year, the way it worked uh, when, when Napier and them was over at, at Udala, whatever. But what, what are so, two or three other guys that we might look for that besides Cox and uh, Richardson? Yeah, I, I mean, go with the other running back, uh, ETN. I mean, he, he looks, uh, plays a lot like his older brother, the former Clemson star who's with the Jaguars now. I, I'm not going to say that he's going to reach that level. I mean, ETN was the one of the best backs in the history of the ACC. So I'm not going to put that unfair expectation on him. But when you watch him, you see that flash. You see that spark. You see that burst that not a lot of backs have. So he's only a freshman, so he's you know presumably going to get better from here. But he is somebody that when he has the ball in his hands, you can just see that something is different. 
Um, Javon Dexter, the defensive lineman, um, is somebody that has, you know, early in the off, in the offseason was getting kind of first round buzz on the mock drafts that are way, way, way too early. But he's somebody who has the potential to be very disruptive, and we've seen it in flashes. And then the third guy I'd mentioned is Ventral Miller, the linebacker. Um, he's been banged up this year and banged up throughout his Florida career. But there's been a huge difference between when he's playing and when he's healthy and when he is banged up and when he's out. He's healthy now. Um, he is a, a very good with a run, very good in terms of stopping the quarterback, but has been kind of a little bit of a liability in, in pass, uh, the passing lanes, at, you know, trying to defend tight ends and what have you. So he's somebody that uh, A&M fans should, should be watching as well, number 51. Let's close it out with this. Uh, Florida will be successful on Saturday if they do these things. What, what would they need to do to, to be successful? First of all, run the ball well. That, that This is, you know, Billy Napier's MO is he wants to run the ball and he wants to play action off of that. So if, if the Gators run the ball well, and I think they will, then that's the, the first key to success for them. The other thing, you know, whole avoid turnovers, dumb mistakes, all that stuff that every coach says, but the other thing that I would mention is third down defense. The Gators' uh, third down defense is historically bad. I tried to find a, a Gators defense that was this bad in the history of the program, and I could not do it. The records only went back to like 1979, and they were somewhere around 10 percentage points worse than any Florida defense since 1979. So they are historically bad. Um, if they're going to have a chance of beating AM, and I do think they have a legitimate chance, they're going to have to find ways to get off the field. It's that simple because they have not done it consistently. And that's one of the reasons why they're in this situation where they are, where they're just kind of middle in the road instead of being six and two with wins over Kentucky and LSU or something like that. Uh, and so, Matt, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Let the people know where they can find your work and how they can find you online so they can follow you leading up to the game. Of course. I'm on Twitter at MBakerTVTimes, and our website is TampaBay.com. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much uh, for giving us a little bit of your time to break down the Gators, and we'll be back with another one of these next week. It seems like every day, everything just has a way, the way the must have seems. But if we don't watch what we're doing, our hearts will get ruined by silly things. Good loving needs a girl we know that's true. We want to keep it We got to watch everything that we do Yeah, yeah Don't want to make sure my baby Make sure you're sticking with me